Good morning and welcome back to the Burn Bag podcast uh, in our new era of the Burn Bag 2.0. Uh, Ryan, uh, good morning. It's bright and early. How are you doing? Good morning, Andre. It is bright and early. It's also a rainy day in D.C. Um, things are going well. I am excited that the Burn Bag is doing fun and exciting things, collaborating with awesome organizations. And this is an episode to talk about a new endeavor with the Burn Bag. Absolutely. So we're announcing a new collaboration, a new limited series called Risky Business. Uh, we're partnering with our friends uh, Bill Priestep and Holden Triplett from Trenchcoat Advisors. And we're going to talk about the intersection of national security and business with a range of folks, experts uh, from the private sector and beyond. Uh, first of all, we'd want to introduce Holden and Bill, uh, gentlemen, uh, whichever one of you who wants to go first and introduce yourselves. Uh, both of these guys have extensive experience in the FBI at senior levels. So folks, uh, I'll let you take the reins. Thank you very much for having us. We're absolutely delighted to be here. Um, but as far as my background goes, um, so I spent 21 years in the FBI. When I joined the organization, I initially worked transnational organized crime matters. Uh, and then after the terrorist attacks of 9-11, I spent really the middle third of my career working counterterrorism investigations. And I had the opportunity to do that in the FBI's New York office, which was um, just, just fascinating in, in numerous regards. And then I spent the last third of my career in counterintelligence. Basically, think of that as protecting the United States from nation-state threats, threats posed by China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, and a whole variety of, of others, as, as you well know. I have to say that while I enjoyed my time at the Bureau, I enjoyed it immensely, I always wish more could be done to prevent harm from occurring in the first place. While the FBI does some of this, it's actually limited in what it can do. And so what I'm getting at is the FBI was often brought in to clean up messes after the mess had occurred. So we'd gather the facts and then work with prosecutors to hold the wrongdoers accountable. And while that's absolutely important and, and honorable work, it bothered me to no end that by holding wrongdoers accountable, you still can't undo the harm that they did. And so I, I bring that up because throughout my FBI career, I always had a real passion in, can we do more as an organization? Can we do more as, an org as a government to prevent the harm from occurring in the first place. Thanks, Bill. Uh, this is Holden. So i tell you a little bit about myself. So actually, Bill and I met each other um, back in New York and when he was doing counterterrorism work where I started off and, and I was in the Bureau for about 15 years um, and then similarly switched over to uh, counterintelligence, um, spent a good amount of my career um, overseas um, in, in some lovely places, uh, Russia and, and China, uh, where the FBI is is uh, always welcomed with open arms, um, but it, it provided me a lot of really um, some interesting background in terms of how they operate, especially against the United States. Um, and just pivoting a little bit off of, of, of Bill's point there, I, I think that, as you mentioned, this is what really has kind of drawn us to this, this again, this intersection of 
uh, of business and national security is is what can we do um, at a more fundamental level um, to really improve the situation. That again, we we felt like sometimes we were the cleanup crew crew coming in to to kind of you know try to fix things after the fact. Um, but we started to look at more and more: is there something that we could do? Um, to be more preventative, um, to look a little bit forward about what's coming down, um, and to really uh, figure out how we can help private sector um, rather than just focusing on kind of the bad guys all the time. So you both have talked about your careers and a little bit about you know the gaps and kind of how you two came together. And I'd love for you to explain to everyone listening what it is that Trenchcoat actually does, because I think uh, this organization, this company that you guys formed is uniquely positioned to address some of the gaps that you both have identified through your careers. And now you're doing this in the private sector to help organizations and companies, both big and small, address all these risks. And so, um, Bill or Holden, would you please uh, tell our audience how really, you know, Trenchcoat advises organizations to protect themselves? Sure. And and um, and, and Holden, please feel free to to add on. But let me let me take a shot at it first. Brian, let me back up just for a second again with my my FBI experience. So in the last three years of my career, I had the good fortune to lead the FBI's counterintelligence division. So I was responsible for our counterintelligence efforts globally. And when I was in that role, of course, I'm privy to a, a whole lot of intelligence, as you might imagine. And I saw on truly a daily basis um, incalculable harm being done to the U.S. by foreign adversaries, and in particular, incalculable harm being done to U.S. businesses. And so once I retired, and I had mentioned previously, again, the FBI is a bit limited in what it can do in a preventative sense. When I was retired, I was able to in effect, pursue this this passion and um, couldn't be happier to do it um, with somebody like as talented um, and forward thinking as as Holden is. But our our whole idea was, can't we do more again to prevent harm from occurring in the first place? Can't we do more to protect businesses and their assets? Um, from from the get go, and basically that's the the basic premise that uh, that um, that we set Tretch Coats advisors up under. We want to basically identify risks and threats for business, and and help um, them navigate their way through it so that they can protect their assets. And ultimately, of course, that ends up protecting the, the entire country. But hold them, please. Sure, I think that Bill lays it out well, and and you know this this risk that that Bill's talking about. It in some ways, it's you know it's age old risk that we see every day with you know sort of we, we almost think about it here as a sort of human driven risks, right? Humans have all sorts of you know kind of foibles and flaws and and other things that come in, and that we've seen you know uh, no no day goes by we don't see this in the news that someone uh, you know has defrauded investors out of certain amount of you know huge amounts of money and different things like that. But and so that's a piece of it. But there, there's also sort of a, an evolution that's happening, kind of a shift that we that we really saw um, when we were privy to a lot of this information in the bureau. Um, and, and it's it's really kind of a new set of risks that businesses haven't really dealt with. Um, you know, some people are calling it national security risk. Some people are calling it you know it's sort of a geopolitical risk. Um, at the end of the day, the, the name doesn't really matter. But but I, what's really I think important here to understand is that we saw a sort of a whole new set of 
of situations and circumstances and risks, essentially, that businesses are going to have to contend with that in the past they hadn't. And so when we talk about this intersection um, of, of business and national security, um, that's really what we're getting at. Um, there's essentially some really significant changes that are happening in the geopolitical landscape. And we don't have to get into all the details here, but I think it's probably all of your listeners know that you know we have, uh, at the very least, a competition going on between, say, the United States and Russia and China. And it, some people might even say it's it's the beginning of a conflict. Um, but even if you're staying at the, at, the, at the competition level, they're doing a whole host of things to, to businesses. Um, they're going after them in, in all sorts of new and, and different ways. And what we saw is that, that one, businesses just aren't even aware that this is the, the playing field has changed, the, the environment has changed. Um, but secondly, if they are aware of it, they're really at a loss of how to protect themselves. Um, and so this shift from where it used to be kind of governments were focused on other governments, and now they've started to look at businesses. Um, this is really a, a fundamental change from what we saw before. Um, and then you mix that in with with all sorts of basic amounts of, of, of fraud and, and other, as I said, other, other human flaws and things that kind of you know, drive human-driven risk. Um, it, it, there's a, just a, a huge um, you know, panoply of, of, of risks out there um, that businesses are now starting to, to contend with. So here at Burnback 2.0, we're really trying to be focused on the idea of redefining or reorienting ourselves around what it means to talk about national security. So I guess for the average consumer of you know media, of news, of politics, when they think about the words national security, that's often loaded with hard power, military, terrorism, geopolitical conflict. But over two years of doing this podcast, we've learned that national security is not really limited to a lot of that. I mean, we've talked about climate change. We've talked about public health. We've talked about all of these risks that are inherently national security oriented. And Holden and Bill, a lot of the points that you've been discussing really align, uh, I guess, with that view. Uh, so I'd love to sort of hear a little bit more from you both about your views on some of those sort of top risks that are a bit unconventional, uh, some of those unconventional risks to that sort of that generic understanding of national security that I guess we'll be covering during this miniseries. Sure. I'm happy to, to start off here. Um, and I think you, you lay it out well that the, the barriers between, you know, what we're traditionally thought of as national security, and I think that sort of hard power, right? We're thinking of military, the sort of geopolitical diplomacy. Those are the real kind of, um, you know, uh, typical sort of areas or traditional areas when people think about national security. But you've got all sorts of new terms of get soft power, right? And that you think about sort of influence, um, you know, or even sometimes malign influence. And then what is sometimes um, kind of a new term, sometimes called sharp power, um, right? And that a lot of times can refer to this sort of gray zone, and that can be intelligence operations, um, which can lead to be sabotage or even, of, you know, stealing of, of, of goods, um, IP and other types of data. Um, so you you really have an expansion of the of the amount of tactics that can be um, kind of levied against um, you know U.S. Um, assets and U.S. Um, uh, you know uh, you know people and businesses and that type of thing. But just to give a little bit more uh, granularity on that, what we really focus on is just this uh, the number of kind of operations that that um, could be run against a business, the things that businesses are going to have to start to contend with and think about. Um, and we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, sort of 
uh, and I think most people are familiar with it, which is one of uh, with stealing of intellectual property and data, right? And that's something I think that a lot of people have over time, either be it through cyber means or traditional sort of using insiders or people or even physical intrusions at time that going in into stealing really cutting edge intellectual property and data um, that businesses are, are developing. Um, that's something that, that um, you know, has been going on for quite some time. Um, but as part of that now, you see this kind of confluence of geopolitical um, events you also see them starting to sabotage. Um, you know, this is something you've seen with Nord Stream One in Europe. Um, that it, it appears that the Russians sabotaged, uh, you know, infrastructure that was used for gas. Um, but you're using seeing influence operations against businesses. You're even seeing things like hostage diplomacy, where you have things like WNBA stars like Brittany Griner, who are being taken hostage for ostensible crimes, but probably more likely to be used in uh, to trade. Um, and so individuals that you know, have star power in the U.S. Um, and because of that power, they're being grabbed by foreign governments in order to get leverage against the U.S. government. Um, you have things like transnational repression, um, which is essentially, um, you know, foreign governments coming into the United States in order to impact and silence people and businesses who might want to criticize those foreign governments. Um, and those are just some of the things that, that we'd love to explore. There's just a whole host of kind of operations that I think people are unaware of. Um, that are really starting to impact people outside of government. Uh, we're we're really focused on the business sector, but it impacts uh, a lot of people um, in, in their private lives. And if I could just add on to that, you said it well with the question, Andre, and, and holding the answer. But let me let me just try to expand a bit. But it, it's this idea that what national security encompasses is far greater than what it used to. Um, so if the idea before was what we have to protect is in effect our government and our our um, our government secrets, today it is about in effect protecting our way of life, protecting all important aspects of our society. And does that include parts of the government, big parts, but absolutely our military, our Intelligence, whole, whole big parts of the government are absolutely still worth protecting. But it also involves today protecting our private sector. It involves protecting, as Holden mentioned, infrastructure, our space efforts, maritime, our innovation, our technology, our data, our finances. How about the information space? Is that important? Is that critical today? I'd say absolutely. So in many ways, we're trying to protect our media. We're trying to protect our entertainment. Again, I can't think of an important part of, in effect, our, our human endeavor, our, what our society does that isn't worth protecting today. And in, in some way, shape, or form, they're at risk by other nations we either want to influence or steal from it, from all of those different areas. So again, it, it, I guess it, 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 it's most basic terms. I think of it as a, an explosion of what the, the definition of national security encompasses today. It is far larger than what it used to. So Holden and Bill, you've both essentially set up what this series seeks to do. Uh, Andre and I, through our two plus years of doing this podcast, have found that we've really not talked about the collision of business and, and national security. Of course, national security is impacted by business. It's impacted by foreign powers who are either engaging directly in business or maybe indirectly in business. And of course, you know, business 
impacts national security, right? You have billions of dollars falling around the world to be invested. You have foreign governments seeking to engage in operations through their businesses. You can see that in our friendly countries and maybe even not so friendly countries. And so as you've kind of all discussed, this series looks to talk about what this means, how it impacts really everyone from very large organizations to the individual level, because I think any any person is impacted by this collision of business and national security. And so in this series, we uh, are very excited to bring you conversations with leading experts, those who have had great deals of government experience trying to protect the United States from malign action. We'll have business leaders. It is really a a fascinating and all-encompassing series that we're setting up for you all today. And so, Bill and Holden, if if we look at what listeners can get out of this series, what are maybe a couple takeaways that they can be excited about? when we we have this series being constructed. I really commend you for for doing this series. Um, and, and one of the reasons is, again, you're highlighting the issues that we've talked about the last few minutes for your for your audience. Um, and what, what I the reason I think that is so commendable is while there are there is more awareness of these issues today, I'd argue than there there has been in years past. There's still not the level of awareness I think is necessary to best protect this company, and again, in particular, in particular, our businesses. In my experience, the national security community does a wonderful job in communicating with the national security community. And the business community does a wonderful job communicating with the business community. But the communication between those communities is often lacking. And there's often good reasons for that. The the government is often uh, restricted in what it can share with businesses because so much of what it knows is related to other things it's, it's doing. So it has, again, real restrictions on its sharing ability. And when it comes to business sharing with government, a lot of times, um, again, now that I'm on the the business end, there just aren't enough incentives for businesses to go out of their way to share with government. Well, one of the things I hope we can accomplish with uh, the both of you over the next several weeks is to at least bridge that gap, if, if not a lot, at least a little in regards to the communication between these communities, meaning the business and the national security communities. I wanted to pick up something on something you said, Ryan, we talked about the collision. And, and I think that's it's such a great way of thinking about it um, because in, in, in many ways, this is something that, that as we found now, since we've transferred to the sort of the business world, this is not something that most uh, businesses want to contend with. They want the government, then most of them still think of it, it's the government's responsibility. And so in their mind, this is something that you know shouldn't be they something they have to deal with. Um, and so this is a real shift in mindset that, that they have to understand that this is part of their responsibility, whether they want it or not. And you know, I'm not trying to be prescriptive and say that they should. This is just a matter of the way that it's working right now. The government just simply cannot do it on its own. And so this collision that's happening, what we're really hoping to, to explore in this, this podcast with you all is how that is changing fundamentals for the business community, um, how they're really starting to have to contend and wrestle with these um, new risks that they haven't in the past. And as Bill mentioned, the communication is has not always been great. And so there's a huge 
kind of body of knowledge on the government side about what's going on. And that isn't always kind of transferred, um, you know, in, in a way that's understandable to to the business side. Um, and so looking at this, what we've kind of come up with, and, and I think is a really a, a, a great uh, group of people to talk with, a lot of former government people who are now in the private sector um, who can really help bridge that gap because um, that, that we need a bridge. It, the, the way the government talks about this and the way the business community understands it, they really are very different. Um, and so we, we have a coming up with a conversation with a, a former U.S. attorney um, for the District of Columbia, um, be our first guest. And she's uh, currently a partner at a leading law firm in Washington, D.C., working on uh, complex uh, government enforcement and white collar crime issues, um, as well as national security matters. Um, and then we'll also have a, a former Treasury official um, who now leads a government affairs uh, section at a, a blockchain intelligence uh, firm. Um, and so, so really, we're looking for these people who are or deep practitioners who spent their careers sort of on the government side and then taking that knowledge and that expertise and the, and the really the fundamentals and bringing it to the business community to teach them about what they need to do, what's happening in the world and how best to protect themselves uh, moving forward. So in this episode, I mean, you've talked about how uh, the private sector and the public sector have had issues in terms of communicating with each other. And folks, I think what I really want to emphasize about this limited series is that, you know, if you're a news junkie, if you love uh, reading about politics, if you love dissecting foreign policy and all of that, you know, this is a great miniseries for you. For sure, it's a great miniseries for you. But it's not just for you. This is for many folks in the private sector who are trying to learn more. This miniseries is intended to be educational, to build awareness and to make these issues and the dissection of those issues very accessible to all those folks who want to learn how national security and this redefinition of national security affect their daily lives, affect their businesses and so on. So as we close out this introductory episode, we've had a great conversation. Uh, Bill and Holden, do you have any parting thoughts? You've talked a little bit about some of those lessons learned uh, since y'all have ventured into the private sector after leaving the FBI for many, many years. Uh, but do you have any other uh, sort of lessons learned, uh, lessons of value that we're going to continue to dissect uh, during this limited series? Because I think we're all going to be learning a lot uh, during this limited series. Sure. If I if I could add just just one final thing, it's the idea that because obviously Holden and I are involved in a, a number of things, get opportunities to be on panels and speak periodically, that type of thing. And um, I'm quite frequently asked that, in effect, are we are we um, overstating the gravity of the threats that we're describing, and especially as they relate to business, like as you know, how probable is it that businesses are really going to be targeted in the, the ways we're talking about? So if I could just briefly address that, I, I, I guess my my simple answer is not only do I not think we're overstating it, in some ways I worry, are we understating the gravity of the problem? And, and if you think about this for one second, it'll hope this, this what I'm saying, it will hopefully make sense. But it's the idea today that what businesses possess, what successful and innovative businesses possess, is what a whole variety of others want. So whether that's you know, great ideas, 
research, technology, data, super talented people, um, the ability to have influence or power in, in communities or states or depending on the size of the company, even in, um, uh, even across the country. What I'm getting at is businesses have what others want. They have it more. They have more of those things that I'd argue that at any time in our, our history. And so, again, if you ask where are the most valuable things um, controlled or possessed today, is it in government or is it in the private sector? I'd argue it's in the private sector. Well, what all of that means is that they have a bullseye on their back. And that if they're an innovative, successful company, somebody's gunning for them. Some unscrupulous person, group, potentially tied to a nation state, potentially not, but somebody's gunning for them because they have the assets today. The only thing I'd add to that, and I think it's an important thing for, for especially businesses who'd be listening to this and thinking about, wow, well that if it's if it's even worse than what I'm reading about and even bigger than I than I'm hearing about what can I do how could I ever have any chance of pushing back on you know a well-resourced in, in you know uh, professional organizations that are meant to steal and do harm to these businesses well one of the things that we're going to talk about is that there actually are a lot of things at a very fundamental level that are straightforward that businesses could do to protect themselves. It's not complicated. Um, I'm not saying it's easy. Um, and sometimes it takes uh, a, a cultural change or a different change in mindset and how they approach um, security and risk within their businesses. But it is something they can they can they can do. And and one of the first things that we emphasize in talking to anyone who's contending with this type of risk is is awareness. Um, that goes a long way. Just understanding, as Bill said, you have a bullseye on your back. Who's after you? What do they want? How might they get it? These kind of basic ideas can help surface and bring to light all of the risks that you're dealing with and let you see a lot of the solutions, which are actually fairly straightforward and aren't necessarily going to be incredibly costly or take you know, a lot of uh, money to, con to contend with. Um, and so I think one thing we hear uh, very often is, what can I do against a government? Um, but the reality is, as a private organization, there's a lot you can do. There's a lot you can do to protect yourself. Um, and we're looking forward to exploring that um, with the risks that they're, that, you know, various uh, you know, uh, amount of risks that they're dealing with and the ways that they can actually start to protect themselves to contend with these risks. It is not just doom and gloom out there. There are solutions to all of the risks that we've discussed so Bill and Holden, uh, we at The Burn Bag are incredibly excited to kick off this mini-series, Risky Business. Uh, everyone, please stay tuned to episode one. That'll be out shortly. And once again, Bill and Holden, thank you. <laughs>